0: Score the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers, presented by Spitfire Audio. Kenny Holmes and Robert Kraft checking in for another week of Score the
1: Podcast. Robert, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. The weeks are just flying by, aren't they? I can't believe we're already this far into season 3. I know. It feels
0: like I haven't left my house since we started the season.
1: Maybe it's funny, I get that same feeling, and uh, <laughs> I know that a lot of people are divided as to if that's a good or a bad thing. I know for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of stillness and silence and a little solitude, so this is working for me. I don't know about others. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a day I get antsy, but right now I'm all good, and I think one of the joys is this podcast. We get to talk yeah. to so many interesting folks. Absolutely. Uh, we also want to welcome in composer
0: Carol. How are you doing, Carol?
2: <laughs> Hi. Yay. You've been Hi, busy. Everyone. Is your
0: phone just still lighting up? Carol's been doing these uh, medleys on social media for whatever our weekly guest is. And mm-hmm. David Arnold blew it up on social media this
1: week. It And he blew it up for good reason. Because... If you haven't seen composer Carol on your small screen playing the James Bond theme, you have truly missed an epic cultural watershed event. Aww. It is so
2: oh, thanks, guys! Cool,
1: and the Rachel Portman stuff was absolutely beautiful. Let
0: me see if so, I can. Uh, hi- his response was, "I think someone did their piano lessons, yeah, <laughs> yeah. P- <laughs> P- practice when
1: they
2: were told," and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Yes, was Br- Re- really funny. Brilliant, yeah.
0: But yeah, it no, was brilliant.
2: It's, you know, I'm doing this for fun and I'm glad that people are loving it. Um, so yeah, planning nice. to do it's so more. Nice. Planning to do this it, weekly. So we'll see. I think
1: it also gives the program a little kind of stamp of expertise. Not only do we interview composers, but among our crew. We have actual fabulous musicians who can play their work. How about that? That's the gold star right there.
0: Just Very, much, nice. Just Very nice. Very nice. And uh, this week on the show, he's the Emmy nominated composer of the monster, monster TV series This Is Us, also looking for Alaska and Marvel's Runaways. And he's also the founder and frontman of the band Gold Spot. We're mm-hmm. excited to have Siddhartha Kosla on the show today.
1: Did anybody, when they brought that show in, did anybody say for looking for Alaska, you just go up to Canada and turn left?
0: <laughs> just hang That's a quick f- Louie in Canada there
1: and you're, you're there. And there's there's your series.
0: <laughs> a lot okay. of
1: islands stretching out over there. That's,
0: oh, the great. Aleutian Islands. Thank you very yes,
1: much. It's all in Aleutian. Um,
0: so yeah, we'll get to Sid in just a minute. Uh, of course, we want to take a moment to our sponsor spitfire Mm -hmm. audio maker of virtual instruments for film composers used by many of the guests right here on the show
1: boy i uh really am excited about getting my new edition of the best-selling bbc symphony orchestra library i signed up i mean isn't that funny for the discover edition which is a whole symphony orchestra which is coming to me for just 49 dollars. If 49 Mm dollars was too much for any of you you know you can sign up and sign some forms and they'll send it to you for free in two weeks
0: there's been a lot of people on social media saying that uh, it's almost hit the two-week mark so they're they're about to get it
1: oh uh, but they
0: haven't gotten it yet if you didn't do the 49 bucks but the people who paid 49 bucks said it's it's pretty loaded
1: it's pretty sweet spitfire also has a composer magazine they're putting together its videos and written interviews they've done with composers Lots of shows, Ozark, Handmaid's Tale, and they interview our pal, Justin Hurwitz, who did La La Land and, uh, Whiplash. First Man. First Man. Yep. Yeah. First Man, exactly. So, um, there's a lot coming up here, uh, from Spitfire. I also want to give a shout out to Christian Henson, who posts incredibly interesting YouTube videos, yeah. um, on the Spitfire site. I've been watching those mm-hmm. where he talks about, uh, he had one recently. Where he talked about the new logic, um, hmm. and uh, I just thought it was super interesting. So, yeah, he has a, a great way of fan. explaining and teaching, and and
0: especially with a lot of the Spitfire products. And speaking of Spitfire products, most importantly to you, our listeners, we have a deal for you: twenty percent off your first Spitfire purchase. It's good on well over fifty different Spitfire libraries. Just go on their website, spitfireaudio.com, and in the checkout, use the promo code SCORE2020. It's a limited-time offer, so be sure to use the code, and uh, that way they know we sent you as well. And stick around after the show today, uh, that BBC Symphony Orchestra package we were talking about. We're going to play a clip so you can hear some of the different sounds and uh, hear
1: how to elevate your music. Or your mattress is free! (laughs) <laughs> I just had to I just had to say that because it's such a good deal. Uh you get it's it It's my free. money
0: and I need it now. All right. Um Robert, you've uh you I know that we we talked about it a little bit but um the, the last dance ended over the weekend. Oh god. The 10 part It was emotional for me. Michael Jordan series. Um yep. what's your overall take on that? I know that some people were kind of critiquing it that Ken Burns said it wasn't a real documentary because Michael Jordan had creative control, which I agree with. I mean, if you're doing a doc on a subject and they have their hands in the the creative part of it, it's
1: not a fully journalistic. But what did you think? I actually don't think that's entirely fair because I don't know how much more warts and all, as they say, you could show Michael Jordan comes across is a very complicated very driven very both heroic and human person so in terms of that aspect i also just think it's great television i mean yeah. you just I, you can't wait to see the next thing whether it's perfect or whether it tells the whole story or 90% of the story that's a separate discussion but in terms of oh my god now what's going to happen tv um it just was wonderful I also want to give a shout out to Thomas Caffey who um Mm -hmm. just incredibly impressed by the music it's so good and also the music supervision and the needle drops are stupendous yeah I I heard
0: an interview with uh, the director Jason Hare and he said that um they went with a lot of songs of the eras. So as the, as the documentaries bouncing around to the different decades um, to really help take you to that decade and remind you where you are, you would hear a certain hip hop song that came out in that year instead of something else Um, because sometimes you know the graphic shows but then you've been watching for five minutes and you forget that we're back in 1992 or whatever yeah so they did a really good job with that but yeah thomas Caffey's score especially in these last two episodes was Mm -hmm. so dramatic and it's probably a dream for a composer to score something that like i mean some of those finals games they didn't need music they were so dramatic but to be able to add that in there and really ramp it up, and oh, what a dream! Yeah, what
1: fun! What fun to see that footage and it was those stories. I mean, a wonderful Steve Kerr in episodes nine and ten. What a hero! And I didn't even knew? know that story about his dad. Golly, That's crazy. I don't think
0: anybody did. I didn't. It was I just epic. It was it was perfect timing for the doc. I mean, people are starved for sports, and it was great TV. We don't. Everyone's just kind of watching, you know reruns and different things on Netflix to so to get everyone on the same page to gather around the TV for something new, I thought was really cool and they you know they sped that up. That series was supposed to come out in June. So um oh, yeah. It's all yep. already over. But if you haven't watched it, the music's great. It's a great uh ride through a time machine and remind you of how different the NBA was and it, it was really cool. But even if you're not a sports fan, it's a lot of great human stories, and um, it was well done. Uh, the other show that we were talking about was Mrs. America, yeah. which is new, and uh, it's on Hulu, and I think it's is it weekly on FX.
1: Yeah, yep. Um, and, and it's um,
0: scored by Chris Bowers, which we talked about at the beginning of the season. Um, tell me uh, your thoughts on the show so far.
1: I'm um, three episodes in. Um, first of all, Chris Bowers, I think, is one of the leading lights of a new generation of composers. We had him on the show last season. And yeah. it's just exciting to see him scoring these kind of uh high profile TV series. Yeah, and, composer of you know,
0: When They See Us. Yeah. And uh Green Book, which won the best picture.
1: Yep. And um and so he um has taken a very interesting orchestral approach to a period picture, and um, I think I think it's one of the great decisions that a filmmaker uh, has to make, which is: do you have a score? Uh, do you have the, your composer score in the style of that moment, which is nineteen seventy-two, or do you use needle drops? Um, songs from the period, and then have a score be truly emotionally based musically. And uh, I don't want to give it away, but there's a decision that's made clearly by the filmmakers and Chris that's just wonderful. And three episodes in, boy, there's an incredible amount of talent. Writing, acting, it's yeah. very first class, super first class. And it's a un-
0: unique style of filmmaking where they go character by character um if you if you haven't watched it yet. Each yeah. episode kind of profiles somebody, and I'm sure it'll wrap all together at some point, but um, it's cool. Now, here at Score the Podcast, we like to get to the bottom of things. So joining us now is composer of Mrs. America, Chris Bowers. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. We talked about at the beginning of our season that this, this stay-at-home order jumped in out of nowhere, and you can't help but wonder what composers have stuff going on, or even if you're in the middle of a project, and then sure enough, we see the reports that, you know, your show, Mrs. America, was in the literally in the middle of scoring when you got the news. I'm curious, when did you find out about this, and what was going through your mind? I mean, there's no one to ask for advice on this situation.
3: Uh, well, I mean, I um, I think that once we started to feel like we might uh lockdown in general i was already starting to think about how we were going to do that um just because you know my fiance and i had been following the news since it was in china and um i had a couple of uh shows in new york actually um in may that i was supposed to do and so those one in may and one in um in march <clears throat> and so even with those those shows i was looking at canceling those pretty early on and so Thinking about canceling those, I was also like, well, what are we going to do if that happens? And um, I think that having – I did have people to help me. I I immediately called Peter Rotter, uh, my contractor, and also Phil Eisler um, and, you know, spoke to them about how they're approaching the situation. Peter Rotter had a list of 70 musicians, a lot of whom had already played on the Mrs. America score that had home setups – there were a couple of musicians that had played on scores um, for episodes one through six that didn't have home setup So we helped them get set up at home and explain to them how they should record themselves and everything. And then, um, you know, by the time we were really into it and had to pull the trigger on it, we had already had everything in place. And so it really felt like it um, it didn't it, it only slowed us down because the whole process t- takes a little bit longer. But um, it we didn't have that that. Uh, lull of trying to figure out what we're going to do because we had already kind of put everything in motion seems
0: like you didn't even have time to panic it was just like let's figure this out
3: yeah exactly i mean i think that the thing for me was that you know i still pretty i still feel pretty new um in in this industry essentially and um and this is still one of my first projects really when you look at it from um uh, you know compared to somebody like phil eisler or jeff rousseau or these guys that have been doing it for a while and i think that seeing not only all these other people that were still continuing to work, but also with our project specifically, they were trying to figure out how to do the ADR remotely, how to do the mix remotely, all these different things. And so I think I really felt myself like uh, I, telling myself, let me not be the weakest link in this chain and make sure that I, I get everything taken care of. And um, yeah, like you said, I, there was no time to panic because you know they're looking to me for uh for an answer of how we're going to solve it and so I just wanted to make sure that I I um I was able to contribute in that way since everybody else was figuring it out.
1: In some ways what you just described is um what your gig is in a way which is problem solving whether yeah. it's musically when somebody says I don't know man it's got to be funnier or sadder or faster uh how do you solve that problem but this is recording istically How do you make an orchestral sound um, remotely? The question I had just hearing you describe it is when you had musicians that said, we're not set up, Hmm. the really lovely second part of that sentence was you didn't say, so we went and looked for people that had that. You said, so we showed them how to do it. Did it mean that you had to tell people, go out and get this kind of gear or... I mean, how what did you tell players that you wanted that weren't set up?
3: Yeah, exactly. Like telling them specifically what mics we would suggest them getting. Um, you know, giving them options for different price points so they can figure out what's going to be best for them, and then and what interfaces they should use. And then my um, my mixing engineer also spent time with them on FaceTime setting it up. Um, you know, doing trial recordings and everything, just wanting to make sure that for me it felt like some of these people had already been an integral part to the sound of the score. they have been on some of the first episodes. And in a lot of ways, some of these are friends. Like one person in particular that I'm thinking of is a friend of mine from high school that now is like one of the top call cellists um, in L.A. and she didn't have a home recording set up. And for me, I felt like that would make me a little sad if she wasn't a part of, you know, these, these, uh, these final episodes. And so really it was just wanting to make sure that we took care of the people that were already being so, um,
0: so, uh, helpful with us with the score. What was the biggest challenge? Would you say? Um, I know that, you know, during this time, a lot of places, like even when we were trying to set up our remote set up for this season of the podcast, we had to order equipment. And if it wasn't deemed essential, it would take like a month to get certain things. And I'm just curious, like at what point was uh f x or who the you know the studio in charge of the show were they were they worried at all about the timing and just how long things were taking?
3: not at all. I really appreciated them. I mean it felt like they had complete trust in me to figure out how to um get it done, and they were if anything more um uh flexible with the time i mean I think we might have extended some of the mixes a little bit so that we had a little bit um more leeway to try to finish the score and also everything else all the ADR and all that kind of stuff because I think some of the actors were even recording you know on their iPhones from home or whatever for for some of those things and so that all took a little bit more time but really they just kept asking me what do I need you know I think that was the thing that I really appreciated about being in that position was that um, it wasn't a I didn't feel the demand to get it done as much as I felt Uh, How can we help you make sure that you get this done um, the way that you want to get it done? And if that means us, you know, taking a bit more time or whatever it is, or, or another thing we ended up doing with it is earlier, we had been recording actually two episodes at a time in the larger sessions. And now we had to record basically like half of each episode because we figured it already takes a little while for me to get approvals from... First, the producers and Davi, the showrunner, and also um, after that, we didn't have to get a second level of of approvals from FX, and usually they wanted to wait to get the entire episode done first before they gave those approvals so they could watch through the whole thing. And so I appreciated that with this, they were a bit more flexible, and they um, they actually uh, made it so that we could give them half of the episode for them to approve as soon as possible and then we would send all of that material to my copyist to send to all the
1: musicians
3: and that way I can be f- focusing on the second part of the episode while we're already recording the it's first incredible. part of the episode.
1: Incredibly work intensive. Yeah. Can you just for my own curiosity and I'm sure a lot of listeners will also wonder what is the process are you working individually player by player by player on their part and then you get eight tracks or 12 tracks or whatever each band's size is and you assemble it because you're or do you have a whole screen full of players and you go three two one go and everybody (laughs) plays at once how what is the process for getting a cue done
3: so the way that we approached it was first trying to figure out who um, needed to record first, because sometimes it would be better to have maybe, um, you know, the the basses record first so that the other musicians are playing on top of that, or maybe just have this, all the strings record first and then record woodwinds on top of that so that they're playing to the live strings instead of the MIDI. Uh, same with the percussionist, having the percussionist record after all of the, the other musicians are recording so that the... The uh, string players and the woodwind players are playing on top of MIDI percussion, which is, you know, much more locked in. And yeah, exactly. And then the percussionist can play around that. Um, and then the the other thing we did was have, for the string player specifically, had them layer themselves. But um, we layered, we had them layer three times, but once in mutes and once a little bit further away so that there was just a little bit of um, uh, a different kind of sound you know when they're laying themselves over and over again so we could try to get a little bit closer to that full sound Um and then most of the time I would just give them a couple of days to turn it around because we also wanted this to be as flexible for the musicians as possible to record you know whenever they needed to so you know it wouldn't be as convenient to be able to set specific times especially with so many people recording and um there were a lot of times where they would do a take and then send it to me immediately so i could listen to it and give them feedback in real time that way um but other than that for the most part we just trusted the musicians to do as great of a job as they can and i think what i really appreciated from them is
0: just that they uh they really came through do you think this is possible 10 years ago i mean the timing no, of yeah. when this pandemic happened, I hate to, you know, if there's any positive to it is that it happened in a time when we have all of this technology. I mean, is it the new normal? I hate to say that, but is it the new normal for a professional musician to have the ability to, to do this, have a remote setup like this? I mean, I, I think so, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's
3: one other thing for us as a team, It it um it didn't feel that new or unusual primarily because we um, we already have some some cues and some scores that we've worked on where we just needed to send something to a guitar player or to a drummer or to a bass player to record by themselves and that's already a practice that feels incredibly helpful sometimes because you know we don't There's so many times where I'm working on something and I think like, oh, it would be great if I had this on top of this. But I don't have time to, even without a pandemic, to call a musician to come in and record it and all that kind of stuff. And so it's easy just to send it to somebody and know that we're going to get back a high-quality recording. And, um, you know, again, having a list of 70-something musicians that all already do this on a regular basis and are used to it – is incredibly helpful in a time like this. And so I think that the more musicians can try to work on those skills because, you know, it demanded a lot of these musicians. Like, they have to be their own engineer. They have to be their own you know, editor when they're, like, they're making comps of their takes or they're exporting their stems, and you have to know how to do all that stuff to make sure that it's going to be at the level that we need it to be. And, um, you know, the fact that that these musicians were able to do that I think was so helpful, and and, um, it will only be more helpful moving forward. Are you getting
0: hit up by other composers? Has anyone called to ask for advice on your setup?
3: Yeah, yeah. A couple composers have called just asking, like, what, um, you know, do we use Source Connect or do we use, you know, FaceTime or do we use? Uh, there's another plugin I forget what it's called, but there's a plugin that we use on this pro, uh, project. I did, um, I did the next Madden game and we had to record all the brass separately. And there was a Pro Tools plugin that that um, engineer recommended that we use. Um, you know, so different things like that, little tools and and tricks we got from that. And same for me. Like I called when I called Phil Eisler, he's the one that told me you should record. Um, or he said that he was recording section leaders first. And that was helping if he recorded the first violin first, the whole violin section was able to play to that person. And so little things like that, I think um, it was really cool to see how we as a community came together to figure out how we're going to get this done, you know, asking each other for advice. Um, I was again, really inspired by Phil when he posted this, um, this, you know, long thing on Instagram about how he was going to, make sure he took care of any musicians that needed to to uh, figure out their recording setup and all that kind of stuff. So I think that seeing things like that made me feel like, you know, I'm in a, in a very fortunate position right now to have a lot of work and let me try to figure out how I can not only get it done, but, but get it done with the people that I care about.
1: So awesome. It is really awesome. And I think the question going forward will be, do you think when this is in our rear view mirror, God willing, or not, too far away from that. Will you continue to record this way? Is it a thing where, you know, you hear people are now going to do a lot more Zoom and working from home? Do you think musicians and film scores will be done remotely more, or will there be a great stampede to get back into the room together?
3: I think that there's still going to be, you know, a push to get in the spaces together. I do think that it is helpful on some level. Like, with Mrs. America, we found it interesting because already before the pandemic, I was experimenting with adding delays to each section and adding different delays to, you know, the high strings and I would the low strings and adding a different delay to the woodwinds and the strings. And so, you know, when you're recording all in one space, you try to get as much isolation as possible to be able to add those delays and not have it affect everybody. But in this instance, you know, I think my engineer was probably annoyed with me with how much I was taking advantage of having this much separation from people and being able to like, you know. Add a bunch of weird stuff to the bass, but not do anything to the rest of the strings or whatever else. And so, I think that on some level, it could be fun to uh, continue to record things in this way because it'll just uh, push us to be even more creative about how to make the sound work as best as possible. Because it's not going to be the same as you know recording in a in in one room all together. But I think the thing is that at the same time, nothing replaces being. Not only in front of that many musicians making music and like playing something and what you feel from that or, you know, even being able to hear something as a a section and tell them, you know what, actually basses change this note and celli change this note. And in this instance, you have to tell you can't hear everything together until it comes together in the end, you know, and so um I think that at the end of the day, nothing can replace being able to record with a lot of people in one space. But, um, but there are some, some pros. I, I was guess, thinking, to how
1: them. do you give notes? You get a whole section playing, a whole <laughs> cue, and then the writer, the showrunner, the director says, you know, I wish – is there any way you can just measure wherever that is, 31? Can you just tacit that and have it be a rest and you've just recorded tr- and tripled – A string section. And um, what I love, though, what I love about what you said is that you're still being completely creative and that it's leading to other creative solutions. And that's what artists do is you're presented with this. Okay, here's the reality. I guess you have an opportunity to say, no, I won't do it unless we're in the same room. I quit. But that would be an unorthodox (laughs) approach instead of, you know what? Not only am I going to get it done. But let me play with this.
0: And as we know, with all filmmaking, it's all teamwork. This yeah. isn't a solo artist yeah. thing. So yeah. it doesn't work without everyone playing ball, which you're clearly
3: proving. Oh, it's so nice uh, when you said you didn't want you to be to
1: the weakest link. Yeah. I thought that's so.
3: <laughs> it's well, I was, but just to touch on that, real it's it's so interesting. You know, I um I had to cancel my wedding in the middle of all this, and like, mm. what was interesting is that like, you know, talking to talking to people and uh, one of the the post supervisor on mrs america her father passed away in the middle of this and you know you have these people that are dealing with things and at the end of the day we're all dealing with things all the time but i think what's interesting about being in the middle of this pandemic is we're very aware that everybody is moving through something and so there's just this different level of empathy and also at the same time um I, i just kept thinking well this post supervisor is dealing with her father being uh, having just passed away, and she's still trying to figure out how we can get this show done. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, um, yeah, just trying to pull my weight because everybody else is probably dealing with something with this pandemic, and they're still getting it done. You know,
1: man, that is a well, perfect yeah. way to wrap. Which is my number one lesson about being part of any filmmaking or any team is attitude. Is key, and listen to Chris Bowers, Maestro Bowers, telling us he wants to pull his weight. And thanks for
0: joining us on short notice, Chris. We uh, we
1: talked about it last cousin. night, and, and uh, listen, I just want to extend an invitation to all our listeners. Chris is going to invite all of you to his wedding. He told us before when he. <laughs> When he reschedules the wedding, he just yeah, wants save the date. Two hundred fifty thousand listeners be Zoom, will be so. attending. Save the date. Well, well, you'll just watch your inbox, and I think that's so thoughtful of you, Chris, <laughs> to our listeners. Um, but in addition to that, I want to say personally thank you for blazing a trail, man. You're blazing a trail for composers to get this done. Keep the work going, and to all of you. Watch Mrs. America. It is really interesting. Super interesting. I can't wait to get to...
0: On FX and Hulu right now. these
1: episodes, because I'm not there yet, to see... Mm, Is there a little more delay on the strings in episode eight? I'm going to suss it out, because... Yeah, it's
3: going to be interesting to see the difference. I'll check it it out. Hey, Chris, a
1: million thanks, man, on short notice for showing up and teaching us a little about remote recording.
3: Thank you all. I really appreciate it.
1: Wow, what a crazy time for Chris and that team. Boy, I don't think... Can you imagine even where are we? Four months ago would we have had a conversation like that? I, I can't no, imagine that anticipating that kind of solution to this kind of problem as recently as February of this I mean, year that's, so that's a quite a notch on his resume and that team mm-hmm. yeah.
0: to say, yeah. Oh, by the way, we're also the team that like was the first to have to deal with changing right. this on the fly and recording remotely. Like that's kind of a, almost
1: a historical moment for the film industry. And I just wonder if going forward, it's going to become a little more common. Could be. Mm. I mean, Could especially
0: be. in the next, you know, year and a half, two years, probably before everyone gets comfortable. And, you know, after nine yeah. eleven, it took people years to get comfortable to go on a plane again. So how, how do you get a Oof, bunch of people right. in a room? We'll find out. Um,
1: yep whoa is that oh my goodness did somebody go walk down the driveway and <laughs> look in the mailbox it's so dramatic the most dramatic mailbox
0: it's score the mailbox right on this question comes from tom de, Ruiter. de hey, Tom Ruiter from the netherlands um tom has two questions and they're, oh, they're, they're quick questions, so he's not uh, overstepping here. Uh, the first right. one is, what is your favorite score of all time? I think mine oh. has been out there for the entire existence of the podcast, so I'll make it quick. Danny Elfman, Batman.
1: Uh, Robert, let's hear it. It's an impossible question. Um, yes. It is, my favorite answer would be something like Duke Ellington's answer when someone asked him what's his favorite song that he's written and he always said the next one so i like that about scores but i think my default has always been this the score that kind of made me love scoring which is elmer bernstein to kill a mockingbird Mm. it's it's a you know it's a little bit if you ask a lot of people about music and film that score for most people is a little bit like saying you know war and peace or ulysses or some kind of fabulous epic novel or book that everyone reads and says this is a benchmark so i'm gonna go with that to kill a mockingbird composer carol
2: i remembered uh when i when i first saw black panther i Hmm. i teared up when i i you know that scene when we first see Wakanda, and then the, yeah. the brass comes in, and it's like, and I was like, whoa, that's, I don't know, just, I don't know, something about that just felt really special to me. So I would say Ludwig, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, G- 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 Goransson, Goransson, yeah, no, that I think that's one pretty cool album. That's pretty interesting cool too corp. that
0: you you took something more current and yeah. you're because i'm with there, you I mean, I mean there's a
2: ton i mean there's a ton you can't yeah just pick it, it's one, a
0: but. it's a mood thing i mean your favorite score of the day could be changing day by day depending on what the weather is outside or how you're feeling oh
1: listen there are you know if i told you how incredibly moved i was by jan Kasmarik's score to unfaithful people would say i don't even know the movie i don't but that Blew my mind. So did Cliff Martinez's score to Solaris. I mean, these were mind-blowing scores. Oh, I have that on vinyl, by the way. And it's incredible, frankly, talking about that score, how many TV shows now and movies use the... It's almost like, hey, 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 I'm blowing a whistle. I'm throwing a flag. That's Solaris light. That kind of approach. But so... So there are a lot of scores out there that are hugely epic for me, just emotionally and...
0: Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I love Batman so much is that Batman Returns came out, and Danny was able to take that same score... Nice. ...and and add that choir and a bunch of things to it and still keep the themes, but really have a chance to play with that uh, kind of musical palette that he created with the first Batman. And... It just adds to it. I mean, it fits in, but it also stands alone and it's I think it's such a cool thing that he was able to what he was able to do with a sequel and make it like its own thing. I mean, you can tell instantly that you're listening to Batman Returns and not Batman. All right, quick curveball TV score. What's your favorite TV score? Whoa, Wow. Uh... And you can't include
1: <music> Oh, I was right. So funny to hear that! What an accident! I know mine. After who's the boss? Um, I'm going to go way out on a limb because when you said it, I had a really weird thought. Ready? Chernobyl. Oh, Hilder, because it is so completely groundbreaking. So I'm going with Chernobyl because it sets a high bar. And after that, I'd have to say, my friend, Mark Snow's X Files. I was oh, very too. nice
0: with the great story. Uh, yep. I'm going to go with now. It's probably changed in recent years because before this, I don't know. But um, as of now, I'm going to take the Carol approach and do something newer. Carol
3: approach,
0: mm-hmm. respect. Nicholas yeah. Patel, respect. Succession. I just got the vinyl. I've been I've been in the kitchen like a king walking around
1: with that music the way I
0: emptied the dishwasher to that theme it was something special
1: really hard to argue with that
0: Carol what's your TV theme ah TV score also tough one
2: but I've I've been rewatching Avatar The Last Airbender my favorite um, Mm. animated TV show and that's the music is done by Jeremy Suckerman and Benjamin Wynn I think and you know Music's great, and it's one of my favorite TV shows, so yeah. Wow. Definitely great. one of my favorite TV scores, too.
0: Tom's other question, by the way, was what's the score that made you fall in love with music? And I think Robert and I both answered that, but Carol, do you remember?
2: Oh, wow. You know what? I'm going to go with the first movie I've ever seen in the theaters. That's Finding Nemo. So, mm-hmm. Thomas name And Tom I actually... Newman. Tom, I, I met Tom at Berkeley. He came to visit, and I told him that um, Finding Nemo was the first movie that I've seen in, in the theater. Nice. And then, yeah, and then he wrote something in my like music notebook, so that's also a special moment for me.
1: Nice.
0: Uh, very cool. Tom DeRoyter in the Netherlands, thank you for writing that question in. If you have a question for the show and you want us to answer it, Hit us up, score the mailbox at epiclef.com, E P I C L E F lef.com. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, we have a lot to get to. Um, our guest coming up, Siddhartha Kosla. we're going to take a break. We want to r- let our listeners know, though, that after this week, we're going to take a little two week break, gather our thoughts, gather our equipment. We're doing the show a little differently it takes a little extra time to put together. I have um, to work so- on my
1: jump shot, so uh you know, right before we come back, I want to come back top of my game, Carol has a number of medleys she wants to perfect, so we got stuff to do for two weeks.
0: yeah, are you gonna orchestrate uh like <laughs> you
1: gonna get everyone
0: together? Chris Bower's style just call everyone up and
2: huh.
4: You'll see.
1: Two weeks no, from now, I'm just kidding,
4: no.
2: <laughs> we
1: expect to hear. Um, it. Crazy. So, yeah, we'll we'll be taking a, a little break. We're coming back with one of the biggest composers in the world. Somebody we've actually been trying to get on the show for the last last couple seasons. So, stay tuned. Watch social media for announcements. We might have a
0: composer quip in there. We're trying to put some of those mm-hmm. together as well. So, stick with mm. us on uh, social media, uh, Twitter at Score the Podcast. I just and, moved. Um, I was so yeah. excited. So don't get alarmed if you don't see us pop up next Wednesday. Um, but anyway, let's get to it. Stick around. After the break, Emmy-nominated composer of This Is Us, Siddhartha Kosla, We'll be right back.
5: Hey there, fans of Score the Podcast. I'm David W. Collins, creator and host of The Soundtrack Show for iHeartRadio. Like you, I love Score the Podcast. And The Soundtrack Show is the perfect compliment if you're passionate about music for film TV, even video games and theater. Each week, I do a deep dive into some of the greatest scores of all time, as well as some fan favorites, and talk about why the music moves us from a character and story point of view. We also learn fascinating behind-the-scenes stories and share the history and background that brought each piece of music to life. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or not. Music is a language that we all understand. And through our love of movies like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future, or even classics like Casablanca or Psycho, we can gain a deeper appreciation for how composers are speaking to us through music, explaining why we have such a powerful reaction to the images on screen. The Soundtrack Show is available on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Giorgio Moroder. You're listening to Score the Podcast. And now, back to the show.
0: Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're super excited for our guest today. You know his music from the Smash Network show, This Is Us. Also looking for Alaska and Marvel's Runaways. We're so happy to be joined by Emmy-nominated composer Siddhartha Kosla, Or is it is it Sid? What do you prefer?
6: I, I go by either. Um, Siddhartha is my full name. Sid is my is my is my is my white name
0: (laughs) (laughs) siddhartha Kosla joining the show (laughs) from his house as we live on in quarantine here with uh this crazy crazy time sid thank you for rolling with the punches on our remote setup of score the podcast first off how are you doing i know a lot of composers are used to living in the dark living in their studios but um how are you doing with all this stuff
6: you know we're hanging in there. Um, it's obviously a very strange time, and, um, and 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 just a terrible time for so many people. Um, but you know, as as you mentioned, as composers, um, we have already. We're already used to the quarantine life on some level. Huh. I'm just not used. To, I'm just not used to being quarantined with my wife and kids. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so. <laughs> that's
1: so perfect. There's a great meme of the guy being asked, you know, choice A or choice B, whether he wants quarantine yeah, or yeah, A right. B. But also, Sid, I I'm realizing even though composers work solo so much of the time also composers collaborate you're used to having directors come over and you're used to having maybe you know a tech guy to kind of help you or maybe a another musician in the room with you or several are you absolutely solo now and and figuring everything out yourself and how is that working for you
6: yeah I mean I, I kind of I'm not you know I I've I've never been um I've never considered myself like a fancy composer with like a big studio and like tons of rooms and assistants. I've kind of always been working from my home studio anyway. Um, I have, I have a wonderful team that helps me of course. But, um, so I've been kind I've been here by myself. Um, uh, this, what I'm doing now is kind of no different than, than where I was, you know, two months ago, for example. So, uh, I'm used to kind of this, like, you know, um do it yourself sort of approach already. So um uh so it's so I, I feel like this transition has not been as difficult. Uh, that's
1: nice because um we actually, you know, we've been with so many composers and of course I've been in the room with so many and the world divides, literally divides into a composer like yourself who can manage all of it, could literally get it out the door solo. Yeah and We've had interviews with composers where you say casually, "Hey, play us that cue," and they say, uh, "Just, just wait one second. Let me, you know." And they yell for somebody, and three guys come out from <laughs> another room, and they, you know, they say, "Here, you just hit the space bar." <laughs> okay, <laughs> hit the space <laughs> bar. So you're you're lucky to be in that the first category of self contained.
0: And it seems like your team is yeah. ready for you too, because even just setting up this podcast, we you you're uh, was it Adam.
6: It was Alan. Yeah. Alan's my right hand. Yeah. They're
0: they're always there for you. Um, I saw on your social media that you, you know, there's all this crazy stuff going on with this, with this quarantine and people staying at home, but you, you scored a moment um, that you found, uh, you know, a dramatic emotional moment in, in real life. Are you finding inspiration through a lot of this? I know that you said you spend a lot of time alone when you're writing and stuff anyway. But during this time, is there something different about being at home and that you have to be at home? Um, is there, are you finding any inspiration through that?
1: And can you tell us a little about scoring that moment?
0: I, would uh, love to hear more about how that worked.
6: Um, yeah, you know, I mean, for, I kind of wanted to just first off say that like, I, I, part of me feels obviously very strange, even like, um, talking about my music and my work in the midst of this global pandemic. It it feels, uh, it feels odd. It feels strange. Um, and, and I, 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 am at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we can, that we are able to do this and, 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 and notice that that art also has a very valuable, uh, valuable, uh, a place at this time for all of us. Um, it can be healing. Um, it can, you know, live performances and, um, and these sorts of interviews are are things that, you know, people don't normally get to see because they're out at work. So I think this is also a nice thing to have. So I just wanted to say that at first that, um, I do feel strange having this conversation about some of my work. Um, but, uh, but I also understand it's important that we, we sort of keep, um, keep this, uh, keep the artistic uh, energy flowing. Um, so I did want to say that. Um, and, and, uh, with respect to that moment, are you talking about the Joe Biden moment?
0: Yeah, I just, I thought it was cool that you took a real life moment and decided to score something, um, because you,
1: you had a a feeling about it. I thought that was really cool. Tell us, I don't know about that. So enlighten me.
6: Yeah, I was, um, you know, I, I was watching this, this interview with Joe Biden and, You know, obviously, like on social media, um, you know, people were very quick to kind of attack Joe and um, and 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 talk about, you know, oh, my goodness, look at how senile he sounds. And uh, he's like he can't get through a sentence without stuttering, you know, people making fun of kind of his stutter or 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 there was a moment in this interview. Joe Biden was basically talking about uh, what it's like, um, the the idea of being able of, of having someone in your family um, die and you not being able to be there by their side and, and how that's a reality of kind of the world we're living in right now. Um, I mean, I, I know through, you know, through friends of friends and people unable to go to funerals, uh, you know, because they have to maintain social distancing or they can't get on a plane. And it's all sorts of, and all, so many different sort of, um, the domino effect of this, uh, is, 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 is horrendous. And Joe Biden, um, was in this interview with Anderson Cooper and just talking about his own experience of losing his own son, losing his own, his first wife, um, all of these experiences. I watched that video and I saw an incredible amount of heart from Joe. Mm. And, um, and, and, and I was like, this man has so much empathy. He cares about these people. Um, And irrespective of your political persuasion. um, And when I saw Joe Biden, do this. I said, wait a minute, this is, I'm seeing so much heart in this human being. Let me score this Anderson Cooper video. Um, so, uh, so Alan, my assistant, um, you know, was able to burn the video for me off of Twitter. And, um, I spent a couple hours and I scored the video with just like an emotional piece of score, just playing to kind of, to what Joe was saying. And I posted it to to my, to my very small Twitter fan base, because I'm not very popular on Twitter. But what happened was two people from Joe Biden's campaign reached out to me saying, Oh my, oh my goodness, Joe, Joe was going to love this. Can we share this with him directly? And I was like, absolutely. Uh, and now I got an email from one of them um, and we'll see what happens. But the email I got was from somebody on his campaign asking me if I'd be interested in performing for Joe and Jill on a zoom call. (laughs) Wow.
1: Sid, This is so great. Isn't that crazy? We
4: need,
1: we need a little news break. Sid, I thought you were going to end the sentence differently. Joe, someone from (laughs) Joe's campaign asked if you'd be interested. And I, I finished the sentence, In being vice president. (laughs) I was ready. I was ready for him to ask you to join, you know, in a in a larger capacity. First of all, this story Chief Musical
6: Officer. Chief Musical Officer,
1: maybe. Yeah. How happy would that make me? A, if there was a chief musical officer of the United States, and B if the first one was you. That would just be in so many ways. But there's so much in this story which I absolutely love. A, your initiative to score some news footage and the fact that as a composer you responded in your way musically and artistically to just some information that was on your screen. I think that that Mm -hmm. is a testament to your own creativity and just awesome. I just love that.
0: It's kind of the world we live in too. I mean with TikTok and everything, there's so many creative things being shared out there. And I just, I found that really yeah. cool that you you took a moment and, and wrote some score to it. And, you know, as we get into discussing This Is Us, like so many raw moments, real moments on that show that people deal with um, and, you know, scoring something like that, you're probably no stranger to grabbing a real moment that people are struggling with and uh, writing some music to it. Um, before we get into This Is Us, though, I want to ask you about... Uh, your, your early years as a musician and uh, how mm-hmm. you got into, um, you know, we'll get to how you got into film scoring, but um, you were in a band first.
6: Uh, yeah, I started my, uh, my music career as lead, like lead singer and songwriter of a
1: band called gold spot. Um, and, and you and, have three and... new fans here. Yeah. In, we've been digging for the podcast. We've been listening to gold spot and kind of wondering why we're not talking to an enormous global rock star uh, as opposed to an enormous global TV composer. And it's probably both, but uh, I, I interrupted you and I want to hear the answer, but I can tell you straight up that it's not an easy transition in my experience from being a rock songwriter musician Mm-hmm. to becoming a tv composer it's one of the great misnomers of life and when yeah. you tell us a little more about Goldspot, spot i'd love to come back to that because yeah that's an area that's very interesting
6: yeah i mean there's a, that you, you want me to talk about now that transition
1: or talk more about gold absolutely or, you know, both both and neither right. and and joe biden all of it
6: Oh, Joe Biden. Oh, Joe Biden's going to join our join our Facetime call. I like that. Uh, uh, the uh, yeah. So I, I you know I grew up um, I grew up uh, singing Indian music as a kid, and uh, and and the reason for that is that you know my parents uh, came to this country in the late seventies from India, and um, and I was I was born here, um, but they had to send me back to India. Um, soon after they arrived, uh, because you know they came to this country with eight dollars, it was the quintessential immigrant story, uh, immigration story, and and they sent me back to India to be raised by my grandparents uh, for the first few years of my life, while my parents stayed here to try to make a living um, and and try to you know make enough money to eventually bring me back. Um, so I grew up listening to old Hindi music um, that my grandparents listened to, um, and. Um, and we can get into this in a little bit, too. and uh, Maybe I can perform a, a, a song um, yes. from, from that, that's inspired by the story. Um, but I had a, um, you know, at that time, it was $24 a minute to make a long distance phone call. Um, this is late. This is 1980. Um, this is like around that time. Twenty four dollars make a long distance phone call from the U.S. to India. And so that was three times the savings that my parents had coming to the U.S. Uh, and, and 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 they would uh, they would instead my mom would record her voice on a cassette tape and send it to me in India. And my grandparents would play it for me. Um, I would record over it with I'd say something unintelligible because I was two or three or whatever. I young I was. And we recorded over the same tape for a couple of years. Um, and, and in that time, my mom would also sing me old Hindi songs, you know? Mm. Um, uh, let, me see, let me see like an old Hindi song. If I can even, I wasn't even planning on playing any of this, this, but let me see if I can remember this. Sid's got a, a
0: background of toys behind him here. Oh, he's grabbing a guitar.
6: There was a song that she would play for me sing for me these are all these old Hindi songs and it was kind of like
4: Ey mere piaare vatan Ey mere pichde chaman Tujh pe dil kurba Tere daaman se jo aaye un havao ko sala chum loome
6: these are kind of songs it would be, you know Love um, it.
1: fabulous so
6: These is old Hindi songs and I kind of you know that's how I learned to sing. that's the way I learned my music. Learning these old these old Hindi melodies and listening to these old singers um these like not i'm not old i mean old like more oldie songs that my parents would listen to so that's how i learned to sing and i eventually came back to the u.s and then that indian music played a role in um just played a huge role in kind of the way i approached music and melody and still does to this day
1: i heard in your voice there i heard also the gold spot lead singing uh there's melodically, of course, in Goldspot in the music and even the the timbre of your voice. I just heard it when you performed that song, the relationship and the way that you sang. I mean, uh, we all come to music with a lot of internal DNA that informs us. And I heard in your voice a whole history there that I wouldn't have understood where it came from without that. But Gold Spot, what I'm curious about is where in the United States, which garage or living room or basement (laughs) was the band formed in?
0: There you go. Forgot about that one. I hear a a few inspirations in here, and I don't know. uh, I think you I don't know if Gold Spot came before or after, but I heard a little, if you're familiar with Coconut Records, reminds me a little bit of Coconut Records, a little Mm. Phoenix we were talking about
1: right ah, those are very complimentary thank you oh George Harrison too I hear George's actually George is the kind of funneled through you know a certain music what is the Carol is our resident uh, Berkeley grad Carol what is the meter of that one two three four five is it a five or a six there's a kind of funny uh not a conventional
6: here I'll, I'll, I'll play it for you here you t- figure out the meter it is a weird Please. meter right carol you're on yep so you, you're playing rewind which is yeah
4: seven you to stay
6: there you go so it's uh yeah and you're right there's a very sort of like it, is it seven. all seven No, it switches from seven to four. So it's
4: asking you to stay. The words are finally here. Let's rewind and rewind. You see, you're the only star in the film I never made. Would you rewind it?
1: You know, so that goes it's good. so good. good! It's so good, oh, and you. the filmic reference was that written prior to you working on film music? That la- line. Oh yeah, way Shoot. way before. It's prophetic. Yeah. <laughs> so I still want to know.
6: <laughs> yeah, where'd this start? Well, that was um, after after I gra- I went to college in Philadelphia, and after I graduated, my best friend from childhood, um, Sanjay. Um, I said, Hey, let's, let's, let's move to London, um, after college and get jobs bartending and, and let's, let's start, let's start a band. And, and, um, I said, okay. Um, and I was actually on my way to law school at one point I was, I would taken the LSAT I'd studied for the LSAT. I was going to be a good Indian boy and go to law school, make my parents proud of me. Um, and, and, the and, and when I took the test the proctor messed up and 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 completely like messed up the timing on the test and we couldn't finish the test and so I just canceled it and I and then oh. Sanjay called me and I was like okay this is a sign let's start a band and Yay. um and, and and against my parents you know wishes I, I we moved to London and so and we moved there we were green and kind of Young and, and this thought, oh, it'd be so cool to be around all our influences. Like we love the Beatles, and I love George Harrison, and and uh, and we love the Smiths and the Cure and Depeche Mode and and all these bands from 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 England. And we're like, oh, let's go, let's go. Maybe there's something in the water there. And and so we moved right outside on um, right outside central, right outside London, and um, we had a little four uh, four track Tascam recorder. And Sanjay and I just started writing music on this four-track recorder, and that's where it started. It started in this uh, little apartment. Um, and Sanjay ended up going to law school, and and then I kind of huh, took perfect. it for after like a year. He was like, he's like, I got, he's like, I got I got to go to law school. He's like, I can't do this. Um, <laughs> and I stayed. And then that's when I started writing writing songs like "Rewind," for example, you just heard. Um uh, and and actually I, I, I wrote that with with my with my drummer Rami, um and I remember when I started playing the melody for Rami, Rami's like, dude, what was the time signature of that song? He said the same thing. Lovely. I was like, I don't know, I'm just playing it, and he was just like, okay, he's like, I have to just stay on quarter notes on the snare, so it doesn't feel like we are doing some weird proggy thing, uh, and <laughs> nice. so, um, so yes, yeah, so, and but you're right, um, Robert, that the for me when I'm writing melody, I even to this day. Uh, and with gold spot, I'm almost imagining that I'm writing songs in Hindi, uh, and then putting English words to them. So,
4: la, da, 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 da. I remember when I first wrote that song, I was just, I just, I remember just, I was like, mm, na, na 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 That's how I
6: imagined it. I and hear I, it, and then I was, then, and then it, then it, then I, then I. Then I put lyrics to it and i took out a little bit of the inflections and um so it didn't feel like fusion music all of a sudden
1: is the seven a uniquely hindi time signature that feels organic and natural to you or is it simply you have a adventurous tempo and and meter vibe Maybe i think it's latter. more the it's the
6: it's the latter um you know it's so funny when I when I started singing in high school. I joined like we had a little we had a band in high school called the Hip Hop Hindus and the Jumping nice. Jew. That was, that was the name of our band. <laughs> you know, it's just
1: politically incorrect, but it rocked.
6: <laughs> it was for it was for Hindus and 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 a Jewish guy. So that was the name of our band, and uh, and everyone would make fun of me in the band because we'd get up to perform these songs in four um, four. Whether they were Nine Inch Nails covers or The Cure or The Smiths or whatever, I, I we did some we did some police songs. I, I could not sing in four four. I every I was I would always come in at the wrong time. I would add an extra beat, and I couldn't. I had such trouble understanding four four. But I could sing in seven. I could sing in thirteen. I could sing in five. But four four,
1: for some reason, I had so much trouble. It's probably a blessing. <laughs> I want to ask about the transition and I'm I don't I know that this is us was you and I had talked once before about how you got that opportunity and we can come back to that but specifically yeah. um being a songwriter is a fundamentally different job than being a film composer and it's something that any film composer understands and I understand it fundamentally simply because I was a songwriter and really struggled when I was asked to score films because I was used to A, A, B, A, here's my chorus, let's come Mm -hmm. back and go out on maybe another A and then the chorus and it was a, songs have a very particular structure and circular structure film music does not need to do that and I am the first to raise my hand and say that was very difficult for me um how yeah. did you make that transition from songwriting to understanding film music what what, what was the first movie or TV show you did and do you feel that it was an organic feeling of following the picture and the emotion and not having to repeat, uh, you know, choruses or verses? Well, I'd come, I had
6: just come back from a gold spot tour. I, 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 so our band had like kind of, we were signed to this like a, a deal with universal. I moved to London um, to, to perform my music. I'd come back after that record deal was done so, like, basically the story was we had um, we had all this wonderful press and hype about this band, and people really were enjoying the music from, you know, critically – we're getting critical praise. And the album came out, and it totally bombed. Um, it was in the middle of streaming kind of taking over. And I came back to from London. I moved to New Jersey to be closer to my family. I didn't know what was going to be next in my career. I was writing independent records. And a friend of mine from college, Dan Fogelman, called me, and, um, and, and Dan and I had been friends since, you know, freshman year of college, we were we were roommates our sophomore year. And um, mm. Dan, at that when he called when he had called me, Dan was this like very accomplished uh, writer, screenwriter. And Dan and I um, had been friends the whole, through this entire t- period. Um, Dan wrote Cars, um, uh, the movie Cars, yep. uh, and, and had written all sorts of wonderful, wonderful movies. And, and, um, and Dan had, Dan was looking for a composer for the second season of his ABC show called the neighbors, which was a sci-fi sitcom, um, orchestral score. And, um, they were looking for a composer to come in for season two. Um, uh, and they were making some changes and they're like, you know, we, he's like, I want you to, he's like, will you come in and score the show? And, I said to him, I said, Dan, I was like, I love you. And I would be happy to do this. And I was like, I, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I have, I said, I've been writing songs for my whole musical career. I didn't go to school for composing film score. Tell, uh, you know, I didn't go to school for that. Um, and then I was like, I, I was like, I know the perfect person. And I was, and I was, I recommended my guitar player in my band, who, who had already started making that, who would who'd wanted, who would really, he wanted to do that, um, and and Dan was like, no, no, no. He's like, you don't understand. He's like, I want you to do it, and and, hey. I, and I said, I get it, but but can I? But can I think about it? And he's like, yes, yeah, think about it. And I called my manager, um, and, and and I talked to my uh, my. I think Amy was my either either we got just about to get married or we were soon to get married. My um, fiance at the time. We'll say fiance at the time. And, and, and everyone just encouraged me to take the gig. Um, Cause they're like, you don't know what's next, you know, just open yourself up to whatever that possibility is. Yeah. And so I took the job. I took the job. Um, honestly, I was frightened. I didn't know if I could do it. Um, and I was fortunate that I had like friends of mine in New York and New Jersey um, who could like who could help me kind of navigate the technical side of it. You know, I knew I could write the, I knew I could write themes that much. I knew like in my heart, like, and I asked Dan and Dan's reason for, and it's that it also takes someone to believe in you. Right. So Dan said, listen, I can tell in your music that you can make an, that you, he would say to me that I could make an emotional connection with my music. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's just the first major step. You can do that. He's like, I think you can do this. And so he was like, in, in many ways, the one that kind of, encouraged me and had faith in me to do this. Um, So all I had was like, maybe I had an ability to connect emotionally, um, but no experience scoring to picture. And honestly, that experience with the neighbors was, I mean, I think the show was happy. ABC was happy. um, Probably because on some level, maybe I was taking a different route um than normal and i think you were saying that too robert is that i think when we talked you mentioned that you would sometimes feel like you were writing little instrumental songs or something um to picture and 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 that may not always be the that's not the kind of more traditional way of approaching it and on that show the difference was this is it was orchestral too and it was not Mm. i wasn't picking up an acoustic guitar doing this so it 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 took me some time but i think what we found was when i had themes i was working i'd work with editors and editors would say hey let's bring in your theme here here and here um that seeing things from a thematic lens is what allowed me to really transition from songwriting to scoring is seeing things thematically is knowing that if i have a hook for example go back to rewind i mean this now this is a song Mm. Da
4: da 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 da, dum pa pa Right, so it's like ah, da 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 da.
6: If, if that became the theme of a movie, perfect. You would just take you would you would take the you would take maybe you would take the the strumming out of it. You could keep it in seven. You could keep it any time. It could be
4: da 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 da. da. Da, na, 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 na,
6: na. You could slow it down, speed it up. So the idea was that there was a theme there. And and that's how I was able to kind of look at my scoring work from that point on as thematic. And that helped Amazing. me a lot. Um, it, made, it made me realize you could deconstruct uh,
1: a song. I mean, score in many ways is thematic, right? It's based on melody. Well, that's the most important If you can do the thematic and emotional connection, everything else can be... I I hate to denigrate the great orchestrators, arrangers, of course, who who bring melodies to life, but the storytelling and emotional aspect is something that is the purely human, creative, artistic part that a composer needs, the heart. And it, it also is... Tempting to say, boo, dah, dah, bah, bah, which is all major, and then you get to the sad one. Anybody want to try flatting the third? So we go, boo, doo, okay. doo, doo, doo. you know that you hey, see the you right. see the composers take the take. You know when you say you adapt it, and then you do the hip hop scene with that buried in the background, or the reggae scene. I can't do it, but um, you just boom, nailed.
6: Boom, boom 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 yeah right here we go but uh
1: you've articulated what is the magic that you bring to film scoring which can't be replicated which is you connect with character it actually circles back to the joe biden story if you can interpolate the emotion on a guitar or on a you know a casio keyboard i watched for I watched Yonzi from Sigur Ross write an entire score on a little Casio $99 keyboard. It's one of my favorite scores. And he kept saying, All I don't said. really know. All he ran away. You mean this one? Oh, he's got the keyboard. You have the exact keyboard. You have the exact <laughs> keyboard that yonzi and it had a little sampling button where he could do funny cheap sound he composed he composed the entire score for the movie uh we bought a zoo for cameron crow who wanted yonzi from sigur ross not dissimilar from dan fogelman and you uh saying i want Yon- i want the sigur ross guy to score it and he said i've never scored mm-hmm. a film And he came in on that Casio keyboard and wrote magnificent melodies. So it's doable. I do want to say, before we get back to Kenny's question, which he's had for the last 45 minutes, (laughs) um, that for all composers out there who are seeking a career path, we've just learned the best career path possible, which is the selection of your sophomore year roommate at college. That (laughs) is undeniable as the move to make. No, you don't have to go to a big fancy school. You don't have to learn anything about orchestration. Just have Dan Fogelman be your roommate (laughs) and have that kind of belief in you. Kenny, you had some stuff you wanted to talk about.
0: Well, we're actually going to take a quick break, but we are going to get to, so Dan Fogelman, of course, later created, this is us. And, brought you back so we're gonna dive into a lot more of this is us right after this hey score fans it's kenny we are stoked to be back for season three and we couldn't have done it without your support be sure to connect with us on social media for the latest guest announcements video clips industry news and more you can find us on all the social platforms twitter is at score the podcast instagram at score movie and facebook at score movie or you can just search score a film music documentary also, please remember to click subscribe on your podcast app. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a short review. It helps more people discover the show. All right, enough business. Let's get back to it.
5: Hey, this is Chris Lennertz, and you're listening to Score the Podcast. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Score the
0: Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here with Siddhartha Kosla. It's been so much fun. Um, we're gonna post some some clips online, obviously, but he's got this array of different uh, guitars on the wall. Looks like a cool workspace. Uh, normally, we like to go in the studio to do the show, but of course, we're doing this remotely because of the situation we're all in. So, um, hopefully, we can do another episode with you, Sid, when uh, all this dies down and we can check out the digs there. Of course. So
6: this is this is this is fun. Uh,
0: when when did This Is Us come into play, and when did you first hear about it? Because the Obviously, this show has become like one of the most popular network shows ever. I mean, it's a it's a show that networks dream of having. There's been shows trying to copy the the style of it, um, but it, it, it obviously was a game changer for network television in a time when there wasn't that many big shows like this that that drew the water cooler type conversations. Um, when did you first hear about the show? I know it was originally called the Thirty Six. So I was, uh, my wife
6: and kids and I were in, we were living in New Jersey at the time. I had, I had done, uh, this is now a couple of years out, a few years after the neighbors, that first show I did with Dan. Um, I had ended up, I still, after that, I started doing some other shows, um, uh, with different showrunners and with Dan. Um, and, and Dan and I had only done a bunch of pilots together that, that, um, that hadn't really gone to series at that, you mm-hmm. know, like, like the neighbors had, um, and actually, there was we did a show called Grandfathered. Um, that's something that we did together. Um, but Dan called me one day and 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 said, hey, you know, um, I've got this new show called uh, um, The 36. Um, that's what that's what. Um, hold on one second, guys. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. I, I hold on one second. Hold on one second. Sorry. Sorry, Dan, okay. I'm getting a knock on my door. I have to tell the kids to not come in. Hold on one second. That's so sweet. <laughs> Hey, hey, guys, I'm in the
4: middle
1: of a podcast. Yes, yes later. I promise. This might be worth saving.
0: Oh, yeah. No, we're leaving this in. This is how it goes.
1: <clears throat> you realize right, that could are- be the, yeah, that could be the highlight of the podcast. Unfortunately, I, I everything you said is interesting, but hearing, hey, Poppy, is kind of understandable. Okay.
6: Keep it, keep it, keep it. Keep it. Uh, that's so just, you were I mean, saying, this
1: all, this is- I thought that was a great deal, so, yeah, first so- of <laughs> all, you know, that Neighbors didn't lead right to the next series, that Dan had to chuck a couple pilots on the fire to see what, mm-hmm. what caught on before this. And at this us. point,
0: right? I, were you... Basically, considering yourself a a TV composer now, this was no longer an experiment or something to try out. You were now on board with Dan for everything he was doing.
6: I mean, I think it was a transition because I was still I was still writing music and songs and and doing gold spot work like I was it, it was a transition. And that when I joined The Neighbors, I did the second season of Neighbors and The Neighbors got canceled at the end of that season. So I, 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 in my mind, I, I, even at that point, I was like, I don't know if this is, I mean, I don't know if I just worked on something that got canceled. I was like, I don't know, is there a career here for me? I didn't know. Um, but, but I think over the next like few years, just, you know, it's amazing. You do one thing. And I worked on a show that that was, that I was proud of the work we did. And, but it just, it was canceled the year, um, I got on, um, the year, the year I think my first year got canceled. I think people out there, just knowing that I had done one thing, whether it was successful or not, they entrusted me with work, uh, mm. and that was that, That's when I realized I was like, "Oh, maybe there is something. Maybe there's a career here." Like you know, you, you can work on just because you work on a show that doesn't end up becoming the biggest thing in the world, or doesn't even, beca- or is not even remotely a hit to warrant another season, doesn't mean that your career is over you know? And, right. and that was a very interesting and a cool thing for me to experience. Cause I was like, Oh, there's almost like there's forgiveness in this industry at some level.
1: Um, you are modest. How about the quality of your work shown through? Please continue. Ah, you're
6: sweet. Um, but, uh, anyway, Dan <clears throat> called me eventually about about is called the third is first called the untitled Dan Fogelman project. Then it mm-hmm. was called the 36th, um, which is what it, it became. This is us. Um, <clears throat> and Dan called me and said, Hey, you know, we are, we are now, we are editing this show. Now we've just shot the pilot. Uh, can you read the script and, um, and write me some score? Uh, and there was no sort of direction from him. He just told me, listen, we're using a Sufjan Stevens song to open up the pilot. Uh, can you go and um, can you write, can you go write something? And and he's like, look, full disclosure, uh, you know, there's a directing team on there that he worked with on Crazy Stupid Love. Dan wrote that movie as well. It's directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, two wonderful directors. Um, I was a huge fan of John and Glenn's. And I knew John and Glenn probably also had their own people in mind that they'd worked with before. And, and so it was not something where Dan was like, here, the gig is yours, you know, mm. you have to earn it still. And I want to hear what you've got. And this is a very important show to me. The network is really excited about it. This is going to be an important show for me. Um, and so I just spent, the, I, I, I read the script and I spent like the next two or three days, I wrote like a six minute piece of score um I I just put everything into it. I I wrote this long piece of six-minute piece of score. I gave it to him and he loved it. And you know, John and Glenn loved it, and that's what got me the job. Um, and in that, I think it was less about the theme or what I was writing, because we haven't really used that theme much in the show. We used it maybe a little bit first season. I can't even remember how to even play it. I would do it right now. Um, it was four years ago. But what we did discover in that process was I read that script and I said, this needs to be something organic. This needs to be rooted in organic instrumentation. It can't have the, it can't be like filled with MIDI strings and like none of that. I was like, it needs to be organic. Yeah. It's very unplugged. Yes. It's very unplugged. Exactly. The show takes place in multiple timelines too. And, and I was like, I have to write, come up with a musical sound that feels like it can live in multiple decades. It can be timeless um, as well. So when we travel, Back in time, forward in time. I, I don't want to be writing like 90s score, then 60s score, then huh. 2020 score. I, it, it doesn't make sense. So it. Would, it so Smart. that's, I think the tone was discovered there. And that's how I got the job on the show. Um, and, and actually, I scored the pilot episode. Not many people know this. I scored the pilot episode of This Is Us from my parents' basement in New Jersey. Right on. Because I was hmm. trying to like, I, I didn't have like consistent work trying to figure out where i was going to and i i was one point i was working in a, in a studio in brooklyn with a buddy of mine and i was like that's not going to sustain for that long and so i scored the pilot episode of this is us from my parents basement and when you say you scored
1: it from the basement did you play everything
6: everything yeah i played piano i played acoustic guitar i sang on the score um, I came up with some, I created my own pads and atmospheric sounds and, um, uh, but yeah, everything was done there. Um, in fact, it was recorded on,
1: hold on. Did you score to picture or was it all written out of a reading the script and you just sent the music? It
6: was scored. It was a combination. Um, I, what I'd written to the script, Dan ended up using in a, in a, in a pretty big scene in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, without me seeing how it was going to be used. Uh, and, and the rest of it, I did score to picture. It was all it was all scored to picture.
1: And then, of course, and Kenny, I know you wanted to mention this. Um, some of your songs, strangely enough, full circle, have ended up in the show. I mean, did Dan at one point say, I, I feel a gold spot song coming on uh, in this episode? Or did you suggest it? How did, how did it all come around? where that had been fun for you and what songs can you play us maybe that you put in the show
6: yeah well i mean i didn't you know as the composer of the show you're normally kind of not you know it's it's almost sometimes it's frowned upon to bring your own songs from your band into the show but dan i think in part has had me along this ride this amazing ride with him because of gold spot and because of by score that I've done for him. So uh, there was a, there was a scene um, in the second season of This Is Us where Rebecca, um, who is the matriarch of our family, she's pregnant with her triplets and she's unsure of the kind of mom she's going to be. And she questions, um, she just questions her ability to be a good mom. And, and back to, you know, uh, what I was talking about earlier uh, when my mom, and Dad would send me that cassette tape when I lived in India. Um, I ended up writing a song for, I, I had my last Gold Spot album was an album called Aerogram, which was which was two albums after Rewind, by the way. So you should check out that one, too.
1: We've been listening.
6: Uh, to Aerogram? Okay. That whole album is my parents' journey to the United States, um, and it's about their that story of them coming to the United States. And uh, I wrote a song called um, The Evergreen Cassette, and that's that song was about that tape that my parents sent to me as a kid and my mom um to this day regrets having regrets sending her newborn child to india you know and she's like that was like the hardest decision she ever had to make and she regrets it she feels like i she lost out on precious time like in formative years of my life and so i wrote that song as um as a as as an ode to my mom and uh, telling her that it's okay, yeah, it was okay. You did it. You did it for the right reasons. That's so sweet.
1: Um, and then it ended up in an episode.
6: It ended up in an episode. I don't know if I'm gonna have to get this. <laughs> Cool. I said to remember how to play it. I think I remember how to play it.
4: Okay.
6: <laughs> um, so here's the song. And so anyway, in this episode of This Is Us, Rebecca, played by Mandy Moore, is questioning the mom she's going to be, and this song just ended up fitting really nicely in the in the scene. And Dan loved it. In season two, the song, um, song kind of worked in this and to end this episode. And it was all it was over like Super Eight footage of of them it's really pretty the visuals are so beautiful can you hear this totally I yes. this mic here so I can record it okay
4: if I mistook the sun for a mango I'd fly up there and reach for it too it's the story Of something older And bigger than me and you And you told it in a letter In the form of an evergreen cassette And I played it in the morning Till after the sun would set Mother, I believe That half of everything I hear is true Between you and me I believe the anecdotes too In the veranda In the midnight heat cousins and I would wait for the rains singing songs about America and then the first drops came so don't worry even though you were oceans and continents away I heard evergreen hit Lullabies And everything you had to say See, mother, I believe That half of everything I hear is true Between you and me I believe the anecdote get you through. If time, time could be bent with the drop of a tear, you'd see it rained in our house for a year. This is the sound of the beating you'd hear. Taped over all of our hopes and our fears The open veranda's been flooding for years I always hoped that I'd see Time can't be bent with the drop of a tear And though you say you missed out all of those years Your voice on the tapes always kept us near See, mother, I believe That half of everything I hear is true between you and me I believe in everything you do
6: that's the evergreen cassette
0: man that was very nice and uh, I'm beautiful. curious w- w- with uh, with this is Thank us because you. you know it, it it had such a crazy taking off point um, pretty early um, not there aren't a lot of shows that draw people to their couch for a network release every week. A lot of people watch stuff binging and, but this show was really making people come together at the couch on the night it's airing. When did you first realize that you were on a show that was, that was just a massive hit like that? When I moved out of my parents' basement.
6: <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And it was in Hoboken. No, you know, it was that uh, we, uh, we lived in Hoboken and Jersey City, and my parents were in in the suburbs of Jersey. So we we I'd go I'd travel to their basement um, every day and work.
1: I'm just guessing because it's Mount Hoboken Records, I think.
6: Oh, yeah, oh, I forgot. Yeah, it called the Mount Hob- Hoboken record. Mount Hoboken Records was the uh, was our little record company for that album. That's right. I totally yep. forgot about that.
1: Thank you for pulling that out. Brought me back. I think Aerogram uh, is on Mount Hoboken. Aerogram is on Mount hellbook. Yeah. We, this is thanks to Carol and Kenny. They, we do our research. So, you know, every clue, uh, and by the way, uh, score podcast listeners, check out Arogram. That is a great record. And I just want to come no, back to you. one thing. Because you very uh, nicely graced over the fact that you said, you know, that record with Rewind, maybe that was the one, that didn't go forward. He said it tanked. And then Neighbors, that didn't go forward. I think people assume, oh, man, Sid's a huge hit, and and This Is Us is huge, and it's all been just, you know, hey, let me just throw a dart and hit a bullseye first time out. It's never that way. And it's just wonderful mm-hmm. to know that you continued, you know, any one of those could have been, okay, I've had it. I'm going to law school or, right. you know, I'm um, so there's something inherent in your tale of things not working that I think is so valuable. And I think that also portends for the future, which is,
0: yeah. What is, what does the future hold for Siddhartha Kosla? I know that, uh, this is us season four wrapped and is there more episodes coming? I imagine. Do you know anything about that?
6: Yeah, we have, I mean, the show is picked up for through season six Oof. at this point. How great. So we have, we have five and six. Um, and so it's, just, it's been, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right that this it's, uh, I think the, the fact that I gone through all these, you know, little mini failures, um, I don't even know if they're failures. Can't, it's so weird to call it that, but the fact that I went through these these bumps, many of them, um, uh, you know, it made, it made me very. It made me appreciate this moment uh, uh, more than ever. You know, I, I, so it's kind of nice to. Um, it's nice to have this. I, I I I feel very lucky. It's it's a great gig. I can be super creative on the show too, which is, um, uh, which I've found is is you know, like to be honest, like when I, I was spoiled on some level, right? I, my early music and gold spot was discovered on KCRW by a DJ named Nick Harcourt. And Nick to me was the arbiter of cool. Like he still is whatever he put on, still is. I love Nick and whatever Nick played kind of like turned to something. He, I mean, he discovered Coldplay, uh, Moby, uh, all sorts of different artists were played for the first time on his station in the U S and, uh, you know, Death Cab for Cutie, all these bands that kind of were contemporaries of mine at that time, and and I thought I was headed for that path too when it was played on Nick Station, and it, it got we got close. I mean, but it didn't end up, you know, we end up not succeeding in the way that I was hoping for at that time. But I think what it gave me was this i, I this sense of um, of taking pride in sort of being authentic in whatever you do in your music. Uh, You know, being just like, I didn't feel like I had to change my sound to try to become like a pop star. You know, I didn't feel like I ever had to do that. And I think in score, that's been a valuable thing that I've been able to, to bring to my projects. And it's not just Dan, it's also Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. With whom I've, I just I did looking for Alaska this this a great limited series last year. Um, I, I've done Marvel's Runaways for them, which yeah. is like a synthy heavy superhero show. Um, they've also encouraged me to kind of be artful in in my work, and and that's really liberating. You know, I think when I first started doing TV music, I, I was under the impression that I wouldn't be able to bring artful an artful sense to it that I, I would feel like I would have to kind of like sound have to sound like somebody else or you know hey this this you know this is listen to this John Williams score can you do something like that you know I, I, I had this impression that that's what it was and I think a lot of composers still feel that 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 is the case and I've run into situations where that has been the case but being able to always bring sort of yourself into the project um, that's just been the most valuable thing on this is us and in fact on this is us like you know this is us. This is a this is us guitar, my $25 broken silver tone. See the tape on it?
1: Right on. Uh, that tape gives it but, this great sound.
6: And, and
0: I. Nice. Yeah. Um, you mentioned authenticity and, and being yourself. And I heard in another interview you say that um, with the show you don't want to score a scene unless it earns it. And I thought that was a really cool Beautiful. way of, um, of, of explaining that. Can you, can you tell us what you mean by that specifically?
6: Yeah. So I, I think that there's um, almost as important as, as, as the sound of the score that you're putting into a scene or the, or that we're, or, or the, or what the score is doing for a scene, it's, it's almost equally important to kind of decide those moments when you don't have any music at all. And I, and this, I think that the spotting of score is as valuable as the score itself. Oh and, um, and, and, and I think too many times, especially on network TV um, notes from executives and, you know, um, are, you know, like just drown this entire thing in score and song, especially score. I mean, it's like the amount of score that has been requested of me in different, in, in different projects. Sometimes I, 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 I sometimes think that you, you, if you do, if you overscore something, then you are, um, showing that you're not very confident about what the score is, what you're not confident with the scene and you're trying to cover up something. And in this is us, that's a show with incredible writing, incredible performances. And, um, it's so fun. Dan will probably, Dan would tell you the same and editors will say the same. I'm always trying to pull, I'm trying to take out my score as much as I can on that show <laughs> and stay and save it for like the more important moments. Um, wow. and, 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 and so we've had a lot of moments where like there's some scenes, some, uh, some episode, there's one episode that was completely dry. not any score in it. Amazing. And I love that episode. It was my best scored, one of my best scored episodes, no score and I, I think and i think it was because you're also so used to hearing score in these moments you're used to hearing things happening in certain moments when it's not there the loss of that score is in a way that silence can be score you know is it's it's you feel like you're missing something and and you don't know what it is and sometimes it's the music you're missing, and. Um, And that has an emotional impact as well. And, and so that's kind of, that's been my thinking. And I, and I I push for that a lot. Um, and, and, and to my other point about being, bringing yourself into the score at one point I realized that this is us was about this larger connectivity of life. It was about this idea that your, your grandmother could have made a decision that was seemingly small, but it could have a massive impact on, on your mother and that could have an impact on you and then your offspring. And so I started bringing in an Indian sound to the score of the show. And, um, and this is the, this, and, and it did this, and I'll play you a little bit. can, Can I play you a little bit of Jack's theme? Yes.
1: is all tuned and open and sounds like a very indian approach to holding a a pedal tone over, with the melody on top
6: absolutely like I, I in most of the score of the show i don't think i change ever change chords it's all hanging i can you know all day long just hang in this melt hang hang on that um, you want to play that theme and it's like a drum yeah So there's a scene early on in the series where we, um, where Kate is in, uh, in pound class. It's like a weight loss camp she's in. And in the middle of the pound class, she has this sort of like meditative experience um, and, she's, and, and, and she's brought back to her father's funeral and her dad is Jack.
1: so much in Love that it. musically and also so much in what you said about giving the freedom to be authentic. It is rare. I can't yeah. deny that my thought was, as we were talking about some of the things that didn't work, the only thing that will be worse in any career than something not working is when something really works great because then it's hard to replicate, but God bless you for six seasons of this is us Sid. it's been amazing Sid.
0: thank you so much for uh jumping on with us and taking the time i know you got little ones running around and the family's cooped up in the house with you and we'll have to do this again in person uh in a future season when uh, we're all not locked down here but um we really appreciate you coming <laughs> on the show and uh best of luck with everything and uh can't wait to hear more from uh, this is us and your future projects. so interesting and a quick reminder to our listeners subscribe rate and review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts follow us there's a number of ways twitter at score the podcast instagram at score movie facebook score a film music documentary and don't forget to stick around after the show here we're going to play you a clip from spitfire audio to show
1: you how you can elevate your music robert and aerogram on spotify check out sid's (laughs) gold spot records that was so nice hey listen everybody thanks so much for joining us we're all taking a ride together be safe out there Yeah. we're taking it remotely be safe follow instructions be healthy our love to all of you and uh, most of all our great thanks to Siddhartha Kosla for joining us this week
6: guys a huge honor to be uh, to be part of this with you and everyone stays safe thanks so much
1: peace
0: Hey, SCORE listeners, we're so grateful for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herman Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music. You're about to hear a musical demo of what that sounds like today from the BBC Symphony Orchestra package.
1: Also, as an exclusive to SCORE listeners, Spitfire Audio is offering 20% off your first order. That's good on over 50 of their libraries that will elevate Your music, it's exclusive to Score the Podcast.
0: It's exclusive to Score the Podcast listeners. Just go to SpitfireAudio.com and enter the promo code SCORE2020 so they know we sent you. Take a listen now to the BBC Symphony Orchestra package.
1: So remember, we're off for two weeks, but when we come back, we're coming back with one of the biggest composers in the world. Somebody we've actually been trying to get on the show for the last last couple seasons. So stay tuned, watch social media for announcements. We'll be back with episode six of Skull the podcast.